Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, God is one. Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now wait a minute. Aren't the scribes and Pharisees the bad guys in the New Testament? Well, not so fast. We need to remember several things concerning the world surrounding Jesus. The first is that there were several prominent and competing Jewish sects among probably over 50 groups total. The ones we know the most about were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. And we also hear some about a few of the other minority groups like the Zealots in the Bible itself. Now, some think that Jesus might have identified most closely with the mystical Jewish Essenes, the third largest sect, especially because they had a communal life dedicated to poverty. Yet, they also practiced daily ritual immersion and asceticism. And certainly, Jesus and his disciples from time to time practiced fasting and other forms of asceticism, but they didn't run off into the hills. And we also know that Jesus fasted, feasted quite frequently to the point that some accused him of being a wine-bibber. Now, the Essenes also were committed, like the Pharisees, to the strict observance of the Sabbath, something Jesus seemed to challenge from time to time, at least with respect to what people considered to be strict at the time. Now, Jesus didn't, definitely didn't align very well with the Sadducees. This was the group that believed only in the first five books of the Old Testament. We hear this in, when he's talking uh, and addressing some of their questions. And as we hear from Jesus's discussions with them, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. I'll also note that the Sadducees, however, formed a substantial part of the religious and political class. Religiously, they were responsible for maintaining the temple and had substantial priestly duties. And they claimed that their authority of the priestly duties derived from the days of Solomon, when Zadok, their ancestor, was high priest. So in, perhaps in one way, Jesus did align with the Sadducees, as of course he claimed that the priestly authorities. Politically, the Sadducees administered the state domestically, represented it nationally, including with the Romans, sat on the Sanhedrin, collected taxes, and equipped and led the army. Finally, the Pharisees, the primary sect. Josephus said that the Pharisees' influence over the common people was so great that anything they said against the king or the high priest was believed. While the Sadducees claimed the priestly authority, the Pharisees claimed Mosaic authority for their interpretation of the Jewish law. From a political perspective, the Pharisees conflicted with the Sadducees, who favored Hellenization, while the Pharisees did not like it. Now, it's also worth noting that the Pharisees are the, all the current major Jewish groups in the world today derive from the, the Pharisees and their, um, and, and their synagogue worship. Now, of course, we know that Jesus and his disciples did not seem to be against Hellenization. After all, they brought the gospel not only to the Jewish diaspora, as the Jewish people outside of Palestine and Greek-speaking areas, but also to the Greeks themselves, to the Gentiles. 
And we know that they frequently quoted from the Septuagint, the Greek uh, translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. So the tension between Jesus and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes was present, all those groups. And much like as Christians today are supposed to have no political associations, Jesus wasn't really aligned with any of these specific groups, but rather had elements of all of them because he was different from all of them. However, there are many reasons to think that Jesus probably most closely and quite closely indeed aligned with the Pharisees. First, we know that many Pharisees believed in him, including prominent ones like Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, and the Apostle Paul. In fact, we know that Paul was a disciple of Gamaliel, who was the leading authority of the Sanhedrin and teacher among the Pharisees. And yet even Gamaliel, in Acts 5, recommends some leniency towards the Christians, basically saying if, if this was of something of God, then it's going to prove itself, and that if it, um, if it isn't, then you know, it's going to go away, and that if it is of God, and you start fighting it, you're fighting God. That's not too bright. So he did actually, pre even he preached some leniency again for the Christians. However, we also note that Paul, after his conversion, didn't renounce his Phariseeism to become a disciple of Christ. But as we see in Acts, Paul defends himself as a Pharisee in front of the Sanhedrin, saying, I am a Pharisee, the son of Pharisees. This understanding uh, that Jesus believes the Pharisees are actually righteous is further emphasized by Jesus's transition to this section of his Sermon on the Mount, which occurs immediately before today's gospel passage and starts with Jesus saying, Think not that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But he who does them and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So again, this sort of, this aspect of the, of the law and the defense of the law is very, very much a Pharisee sort of um, MO. And if you still think that Jesus is against the Pharisees, how about this? From a few chapters later, chapter 23 of St. Matthew's Gospel. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to, the, to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Remember I told you that was part of their, what, one of their qualities. Jesus agrees that that's what they do. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but do not do the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries um, large and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. So if the Pharisees are the bad guys, so to speak, why would Jesus tell us to observe whatever they tell us to do? In fact, this passage from later in St. Matthew's Gospel is direct, directly related to what Jesus tells us today. That unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, that is, we need to do not just what they tell us to do, we have to practice it. And to practice it, it must be in our hearts. What matters is not what's on the outside. The phylacteries, those are the leather boxes with the scriptures that Jews wear on their left arm and their forehead during their prayers. 
the long tassels that Jews wear on their garments, the places of honors, the best seats, the greetings and respect of others that drive us. I must admit sometimes that I'm glad this parish is not your typical Orthodox parish who dotes on the priest and the other clergy, kissing their hands, pushing them to the front of the line at meals. It's so nice to just be among you as my brothers and sisters, as one of you. After all, as I want to always remind you, we are all equals in God's eyes. And if anything, I'm called to be your servant. And although my service is to provide a sort of leadership, it's a headship that represents the head of a river. It's to be a source of grace, love, forgiveness that flows forth, springs forth from God and fills you with living water. Pray for me that it may always be so. And I think we can take solace that being a Christian, especially an Orthodox one in today's world, is not a recipe for getting to the head of the table. That is, unless perhaps you are strangely attracted to attention from a small faction who will give you likes on your Facebook posts, ring the bell for your YouTube, or retweet your tweets. And even if it was, Jesus' message for us today is that we must guard what is in our hearts. Now, Jesus' message doesn't stop with what he said today primarily about anger, but throughout the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount, which he's giving today, he says, you have heard, you shall not kill. Everyone who's angry is liable to judgment. You have heard, you shall not commit adultery. But I say, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. You have heard, you shall not swear falsely. But I say, do not swear at all. You have heard an eye for an eye, but I say, do not resist the one who is evil. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. He's laying down a new law from the top of the mountain. And these we see, let us call them slip-ups, that unveil what we have in our heart. For example, our anger, our cursing, our raka, you fool, our resistance to those who are evil. But we see, but we also see pure, let's call them thought crimes, looking at a woman lustfully or not loving our neighbor in our hearts or failing to pray for our persecutors. You may be surprised to hear that this wasn't a new feature of Jewish law, that, which is, again, what Jesus is doing here in the Sermon on the Mount, delivering a new law, a new set of commandments, as he goes through each of the Ten Commandments and one-ups them. But thought crime wasn't new. And in fact, it's one of those aspects of the Ten Commandments that separate them from all the other ancient law codes. Don't let, everybody, don't let anyone ever lure you into saying that, oh, the, the Ten Commandments are just like the Code of Hammurabi or something like that. No. First, the Ten Commandments applied to everyone, even the king. In fact, they even applied to the animals who were prescribed to rest on the Sabbath. And, were, we, that, and that they were taught, we were taught to treat them with respect. But second, the Ten Commandments, even in their original form, prescribed, prohibited a thought crime, coveting. I mean, you can't take somebody to court for coveting, right? No one knows if you're coveting, except God. There's no way for a human court to try you for such a crime. It's a law that will only be held accountable on that dread judgment day. And that's not obviously to say uh, that what we do doesn't matter. Of course it does. And a majority of the Ten Commandments deal with that no matter how you slice them. But plenty deal with the heart too. And today Jesus tells us that that's what the Pharisees have missed. He tells us that we, that we have missed the point. That if we only, that, that they all deal with the heart and that we need to deal with the heart because the heart is the source of evil. Not because it's inherently evil, no, not at all. 
because it's the seat of both good and evil. It's the place where our battle is fought for whether what our hands and our feet and eyes and mouth and mind do will make this, better, this world better or not. It starts there. And so what Jesus is telling us is that what matters is whether our hearts are in the right place. When we do evil, it shows the state of our heart. We will let it slip by cursing and swearing. Then we know what's really inside of us. Then we know our heart's not in the right place, and therefore our being is not in the right place. What Jesus is trying to tell us is that even if we do good, if we do it only because we think it's the right thing to do, or because we're seeking the praise of someone else, especially when we don't really like that someone, or worse, we despise them, then our good isn't really good. We're only doing what we're doing to get some outward affection directed towards us, to make us feel better somehow about ourselves, whether that's, again, to make us feel good, honored, praised, whatever. It's just self-centered. It's only when we direct what's in ourselves, our hearts, given to us by God outward, that we are truly disciples of Jesus. It's only then that we are exceeding the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And I want to emphasize that you don't need to wear a hair shirt or give yourself 50 lashes if someone merely says thank you, or even if they hail you as a hero, because you are. But you want to be a real hero, a hero that's not doing it for the glory, but because your heart is truly in the right place. And that place is when our heart is aligned with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you think that's too hard to achieve, let us never forget that the Holy Spirit was sent to us to dwell in our hearts so that we could be aligned with God, so that we could have the divine will in our hearts, all the right reasons, all the right energy dwelling within us, in our hearts, so that nothing would be impossible. So let us pray that the Holy Spirit helps us banish the hate, the coveting, the lust, the envy, the fear, the sadness, the jealousy, the doubt, the grief, the shame, and the guilt, all those things that no one can see unless we let them out. Because Jesus nailed them all to the cross. And if we only will take up our cross and follow him, ours will be too. And if, the, as the epistle says today, we are baptized into Jesus, buried with him, raised up from the dead with him, then we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. If we will only choose to be the servant, then the served if we will only set our heart on what our Lord God set his heart on, serving those around him rather than seeking the glory due to him, loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, Our Lord has shown it's possible. He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us. And the saints have demonstrated that any of us, any of us, wherever our hearts are now, can align them and serve God and neighbor. It's only then that we will exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. It's only then we will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Not just in some future state after we die, but in the here and now, as we pray, our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So may each of us bring the kingdom to ourselves and those around us by putting God on the throne of our heart. Talks at Advent homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.